You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast. This episode presented by Life Groups Minister, Del Matthews. The reading is taken from Acts chapter 2, verses 14 to 41. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It is only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, 
Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, my name's Del Matthews. I'm the Life Groups Minister at St John's, and it's great to be with you on Digital Church. Well, I wonder if you're like me. Are you a big picture person? Do you need to know the why and the what's behind something that's new? Were you like me in early 2020, quick to become an armchair expert on viruses and epidemiology and the history of pandemics? And then in 2022, were you forced to change your attention over to learning about the geopolitics of the Ukraine-Russia region? Of course, I also needed to understand how a comedian could end up being a president. Well, as human beings, we have a need to understand what the world around us. We need to be able to put new things into our understanding of the world. As any parent tells you, that sense of curiosity kicks in fairly young and the why question starts when kids are about two to three years old. When something new comes along, our tendency is to explain it in terms of things that we already know, even if we're wrong about that guess. In fact, the quicker we are to come to a conclusion, the more likely we are to be wrong. Well, in our passage today, Peter the Apostle explains a new phenomenon. Well, what was that phenomenon? Well, the event took place in Jerusalem just after Jesus had been, uh, had been seen alive and had ascended into heaven. The city was packed with people from all over the then known world come to celebrate a big Jewish festival together. It was relatively early in the morning, about 9am, and a bunch of Galileans were out on the street speaking in languages of all the people from who were in the crowd at the time. Now Galilee was a little bit like Diamond Creek, a bit of a backwater. Um, people didn't have exposure to a whole range of world languages. The Galileans on that day would not have learnt the languages they were speaking. And on top of that, the Gal- these Galileans were pretty excited, as well as being a bit rowdy with their languages. This phenomenon had never been seen before and the crowd naturally needed to make sense of it. It was not something they had seen. Even for us, there's no ready explanation of what was going on. People just don't start speaking languages. They've not spent years learning. So what do we make of it? Well, the closest someone someone in the crowd came to it was by explaining it by saying, well, they must be drunk. That was a quick conclusion. So Peter, backed up by the other apostles, gets up to explain what's going on. First he does a bit of a fact check on, whether, on the theory that they were all drunk. Now at that time in history and in that part of the world, drinking of alcohol would only be done at night. So point, Peter points out the obvious, it's only nine o'clock in the morning, they couldn't possibly be drunk. In any case, have you ever seen a drunk person speaking a new language fluently? The conclusion, the quick conclusion is always wrong. So what was going on? 
Well, just as it's helpful to go back in history to understand why Russia has invaded Ukraine, Peter goes back into history to explain to the crowd and to us what was going on. He quotes from the prophet Joel, who lived some 500 years earlier. The crowd would have been very familiar with the passage and the prophecy that Joel had given. He talked about, and they would have been waiting for this prediction to happen. Joel predicted the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on God's people in the last days. Now by going back to the Old Testament, Peter was telling the crowd and us that this event was part of God's plan. It didn't come out of the blue. God had planned it. He promised it and the Jews had been confidently waiting for it. The Holy Spirit had been at work in the Old Testament, but God only gave the Spirit to isolated people, to prophets and to leaders. Most Jewish believers did not receive the Holy Spirit. Joel's prophecy first promises that the Holy Spirit will be given to everyone, young and old, men and women, um, no matter what their social status. Now that's a huge shift from the isolated cases receiving the Holy Spirit up to that point. Now that's what the crowd witnessed. There were about 120 believers uh, of Jesus in the room when the Holy Spirit was poured out and no one missed out. Joel also predicted that this event would be heralded by a spectacular display. The language Joel uses has referred to wonders and signs, blood and fire and billows of smoke. Now the Jews at that time understood that kind of prophetic, uh, that, that kind of language as a prophetic imagery. They would not have taken the language literally. But they would have expected something momentous to happen, in keeping with the huge shift that this would be for the Jewish people. Now there were signs and wonders, although not everybody in the crowd at the time witnessed them. At Jesus' death, the sun turned to darkness, um, and when he was raised, uh, ascended into heaven, there was, he was shrouded by a cloud. And then when the believers received the Holy Spirit, tongues of fire entered the room and rested on each of them. Joel refers to the last days. They refer to the time before the promise of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Joel's prophecy had been fulfilled, at last fulfilled, and there were signs and wonders, tongues of fire and Galileans speaking other languages. These were the last days. Think of it like a life-changing event, such as house moving or a wedding. These events are big enough in themselves on the day, but the days leading up to them, there's a lot of stuff going on too. The last days before a move or a wedding. The last days of this event included more than just the day of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They start with the life of Jesus on earth. Peter gets to that a bit later. But first, if the Holy Spirit was for everyone, that begs the question, why didn't the religious leaders of the day experience the Holy Spirit? Why did the Holy Spirit come in some obscure room up in a second story of a house And not in the temple. I mean, the temple was where all the religious stuff happened. You might expect that to be the venue of choice for the coming of the Holy Spirit. Joel said that the Spirit would be poured out on all people. So why didn't the crowd experience the Holy Spirit? Well, the final verse that Peter quotes from Joel gives us a bit of a clue. Joel says, and Peter quotes, 
Anyone who calls on the Lord will be saved. Hadn't the Pharisees and the other religious leaders been calling on God? Weren't the crowd there in Jerusalem to call on God? So who is the Lord that Joel refers to? What does it mean by Lord? Well, Peter has not finished his explanation yet. And while the crowd may have been satisfied that Joel's prophecy explained what they were seeing and hearing, for Peter, it was really important that they also understood the, the events leading up to this one, what happened in the last days. That would also help them understand who the Lord was that everyone needed to call on. Now the term Lord is not something that we use outside of church, except maybe to complain about someone who wants to lord it over us. But back in the time of this event, there were two meanings for the word Lord. Firstly, the common meaning was used for somebody who was um, your master. Now we feel a little bit uncomfortable with that idea because it kind of reminds us of slavery. But think of it like this, the modern equivalent of that, that meaning of the word Lord is sir or ma'am, a term that we use to address somebody who's really important, like perhaps Queen Elizabeth. But there was another meaning to the word Lord that meant a God or a divine being that someone owed allegiance to or submission to. Now the Roman emperor liked to call himself Lord uh, because he wanted people to believe that he was a God. Our culture values independence and each of us like to take care of ourselves and choose our own way. It's rather hard for us to be thinking of giving our complete submission to God or to anybody else. But just like the crowd back then, we haven't got the full picture yet explaining what is happening and what it means to be calling on the Lord to be saved. Peter keeps going and reminds the crowd of Jesus. And what, he, what did he have to do with all the ruckus that the crowd were witnessing? Peter explains, and we need to be patient as we follow his argument through to we get to the final conclusion. Well, firstly, Peter reminds everyone that God showed us who Jesus was through miracles, the miracles that Jesus performed. Many people in the crowd have seen Jesus and the miracles he did. If not, they had heard about them was fairly recent. Peter did not need to go into detail for them, um, but of course we weren't there and we don't know what they were unless we read the Gospels. The four Gospels tell us the story of Jesus and of the miracles that he performed. But Jesus reminds everybody in the crowd that throughout his ministry, while he was alive, God worked miracles, signs and wonders through Jesus and everybody knew that. They also knew that Jesus had been handed over to the Romans and crucified on a cross. He died and then was resurrected. Peter did not need to prove that. Everyone knew the evidence and there were witnesses there on the day to that fact. Jesus had come alive again. Peter claims that the events of Jesus' life, his death and his resurrection, just like the languages, did not happen out of the blue. It was God who worked through Jesus to perform the miracles. It was God who handed Jesus over to be crucified and to be raised from the dead. God did that according to his plan. He not only knew ahead of the time what would happen to Jesus, 
he engineered those events on purpose. Now that's not to say that humans had no responsibility in Jesus' death. God may have handed uh, Jesus over, but it was humans who crucified him. Aside from that, it was God alone who raised Jesus from the dead. He made it happen. That's what we call the sovereignty of God. Then Peter reminds us of another sovereign. He goes on to quote from Psalm 16, written by King David. Now we all know that monarchs die and stay dead. So whenever our own monarch, Queen Elizabeth, cancels an event like at the recent um, Platinum Jubilee, the palace is very quick to tell us, oh, she's just got a sore back or she's a bit uncomfortable. It's all right, nothing serious. And they need to tell us that because at 96 years of age, we know that she could die soon. I mean, the palace probably already have her funeral planned and the, the grave site chosen. In years to come, her tomb will be another site that tourists can visit. And King David too died and he stayed dead. Everyone in the crowd at the time could see his tomb was in Jerusalem and everyone knew it. That everyone knew, just like we will, that their monarch had died and that his body was decaying. But in Psalm 16, David says God would not let the body of the Holy One decay and be abandoned to the grave. The people in the crowd that day and for early Christians, resurrection didn't refer to some disembodied being, a ghost or a spirit or something that had left the body. No, they knew that resurrection meant a body that had been clearly dead becoming alive again, so that the body was not left to decay. So in Psalm 16, David could not have been speaking about himself, since everybody knew there was a tomb and his body had decayed. Peter tells the crowd that King David was like a prophet, and just like the prophet Joel. He was predicting that one of his descendants would sit on the throne and would fulfil that promise. Peter tells us confidently that descendant was Jesus. And Peter was talking about the, uh, David was talking about the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus was part of God's plan all along. It was predicted even earlier than Joel's prophecy. The Jews were not only waiting for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, they were waiting for a Messiah, a Christ, who would save them. The Messiah was the Lord that Joel spoke of when he said we needed to call on the Lord to save us. Peter tells us and tells the crowd that Jesus is the Christ, the long-awaited Messiah, who can save. Jesus' resurrection didn't make him the Messiah. No, because he was the Messiah, it's impossible for death to hold on to him. It was because he is the Messiah that God raised him from the dead. All the apostles standing before the crowd on that day were witnesses to that. Jesus' resurrection was essential for God's plan to save us. Now those in the crowd, and we today, need saving from all the things that cause us to be estranged from God, our rejection of him and our wrongdoing. Those are the things that lead to eternal death and separation from God. So Peter tells the crowd that after Jesus was raised from the dead, he was exalted to the right hand of God. That's a place of strength, of authority, of divinity 
and a place fit for a Messiah. From that place, Jesus was in a position to pour out the Holy Spirit. So Peter is bringing together two major pieces of the puzzle. Jesus is the Messiah that the Jews had been waiting for and he is the one that has authority to pour out the Holy Spirit, enabling his believers to speak in other languages. The crowd were witnessing evidence of Jesus' resurrection and ascension. And without that resurrection, there could be no sending of the Holy Spirit, no fulfilment of Joel's prophecy. But what about that question of who the Lord is, the one we should call out to for salvation? The answer to that question, and to complete the picture, Peter quotes again from King David, this time Psalm 110. In this psalm, David refers to his Lord sitting in the place of authority next to God. He couldn't be referring to himself or his son as his Lord would be his superior, someone with a divine authority and power. Peter is claiming that David's descendant, Jesus Christ, was the Lord, the one who would be David's superior. Jesus' resurrection and ascension to the place of superiority and authority at God's right side is what Psalm 110 predicted. Jesus is not just another man, even a great one, like a master. He is the Lord in the divine sense, who deserves full allegiance and submission. So just to recap that big picture that explains the phenomenon the crowd were witnessing and the big picture that gives us some meaning to our lives. In his great plan, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, handed him over to be to put to death on the cross, raised him from the dead, and Jesus now sits at God's right hand, filled with the Holy Spirit. It is Jesus who pours out the Holy Spirit on anyone who calls on him. The risen Jesus is both Lord and Messiah. He's the Lord of the Spirit. Well, that's a lot to take in. That explains why this, the Pharisees and the other religious leaders were not filled with the Spirit. They believed in God, but they didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They needed to call on Jesus as Lord and Saviour to, to receive the Holy Spirit. The Pharisees believed that they could save themselves by following the religious laws. They preferred to be Lord and Master, taking authority over other people and running their own lives, being their own Lord. They certainly didn't want to serve and obey Jesus as Lord and didn't believe they needed him as a saviour. Well, what about the crowd? Did they get it? How did they respond? Well, they got it all right. In fact, they were quite alarmed. After hearing Peter's explanation, the crowd came to the realisation that they were heading towards certain destruction. They were not in the group of believers that it, who had accepted Jesus as Messiah and had not received the Holy Spirit. They were more like the religious leaders, trying to save themselves through good works. They were in great danger. They all knew the message of judgment, that what it meant to reject God. It had been clearly laid out in the Old Testament. Most in the crowd had seen and heard Jesus. Somewhat even in the crowd would have been there and called for his crucifixion. Even though God handed Jesus over to be killed, it was human actions that called for his death, nailed him to the cross, 
and watched him die. It was all too obvious to those in the crowd that they had rejected Jesus as Messiah. They needed a saviour. But we weren't there calling for Jesus' death and nailing him to the cross. It's not always so obvious that we need saving. We live a good life and even come to church or watch it digitally. But that alone is not enough. Like the religious leaders and the crowd back then, we also need a saviour and only Jesus can do that. Peter's explanation stopped the crowd. In their desperation, they cried out, What shall we do? They recognised that they needed a Messiah to save them. Peter tells them to repent, to do a complete reorientation. They had been rejecting Jesus as God's plan for salvation. That was the sin they needed to repent of, the sin of rejecting God and all that he had planned for them. That was the sin the religious leaders needed to repent of, and that's our sin too. Our biggest problem is thinking that we don't need saving and not acknowledging Jesus as the only one who can save us. It's easy to think of Jesus as just a good role model to follow or maybe a companion along life's journey or just one way to God. But the Bible makes clear that Jesus is the only way to God and the only one who can save us. There are not multiple ways to get to God and we can't pick and choose our own route. Aside from all the other religions that are quite different from Christianity, we can't save ourselves. We make stuff-ups all the time and even one little stuff-up is far short of our perfect God. Trying to find our own way, picking and choosing what feels good to us personally only ends up in us getting lost and very far from God. Jesus is the only saviour. From turning their backs on Jesus as Messiah and Saviour, the crowd needed now to turn towards Jesus. It was not too late. Baptism would be the outward sign showing that they had repented and now were turning their lives to Jesus, entering a new life. Then they too would receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus was their Saviour and is our Saviour too. Joel's prophecy said that everyone who calls on the Lord will be saved. Peter reaffirmed that the promise of salvation and the gift of the Holy Spirit is for all who call on Jesus. The promise was not just for the group of believers who waited in that upper room for the promise of the Holy Spirit. It was not just for the crowd that Peter was talking to on that day. The promise extends to us too and the invitation is for us. Peter's response to the crowd holds true for us today. We need to repent of our rejection of God and turn to the resurrection of Jesus as Saviour and Lord. Some people do make a conscious decision to reject Jesus and God, but most of us simply choose to live our lives our own way. And by doing that, by choosing to serve our own interests, we turn away from serving God as Lord. When we do call on Jesus as Lord, we are forgiven and he fills us with the Holy Spirit. If you've already called out to Jesus as Lord and Saviour, then you have the Holy Spirit, the Spirit who gives power to speak of God and what he has done. 
Now, if you're like the religious leaders, trying to live a good life and do the right thing that the religious and, and do religious things without acknowledging that Jesus is your Lord, then you're still missing out. If you're like someone in the crowd, still trying to get your head around um, Jesus' resurrection and the gift of the Holy Spirit, or perhaps not sure of um, what the next step should be, then can I encourage you to talk to someone about it? Get in contact with us. Put something in the chat um, with this video. Make sure you don't leave it. We'll be happy to, to respond to you. As I finish, let's, let me pray for us and give thanks to Jesus as Saviour. Jesus, we come to you and we acknowledge that you are Lord. You are the only one who can save us, to save us from our rejection of God and from all that we have done that estranges us from God. We thank you for the promise of forgiveness and we thank you for the promise of your Holy Spirit. We thank you that we can come to you in freedom to worship and to confidently know that you are the one who will save us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St. John's Diamond Creek.